If you do not have, and the other is, is actually one week older than Haddon, Max and Sharice's. They're, they're, you guys' due date was like the same day or something crazy like that. Yeah, um, which is so cool that our littlest, her name is Shiloh, her, her birthday is exactly one week after Haddon's. Um, but we're learning all of the complications, not complications, but all of the, uh, uh, just the mess that comes with having more than one child now, right? There's an equal number of children as there are parents, and like it is, it's, it's you know, um, parents with like more than two children are like, <laughs> just you wait. Um, uh, so last night it was bath time, and our, our daughters are at the point where they love playing together, and so they're doing bath time together. And uh, in order to uh, help us with, with bath time and getting pajamas on and everything, we, um, you know, we take them out. We, we stagger the time we take them out. We took Shiloh out first, our 18-month-old. We dried her off and um, put her diaper on and pajamas, and she's all ready to go. Uh, and then we turn our attention to our 4-year-old, who is at this point old enough to be in the bath you know, and have fun, and, and she doesn't require as much supervision. Um, and so we get our 4-year-old out of the bath, and our 4-year-old has had pneumonia all week. Uh, this week. And yeah, she's getting better. Um, but so we're like, you know, just as parents, we're like spending extra time making sure she's okay and, and getting ready. And, uh, and so we're, we're getting her pajamas on now. And all of a sudden, we hear a splash. And I was like, Sarah, did you hear that? And she's like, what? I'm like, there, there was a splash. And so she, she, she went into the bathroom and she said, oh, Shiloh's in the bath. My response was, of course she is. Uh, and you can ask, uh, I send our, our sibling group chat a picture of my 18-month-old with all of her pajamas on, her diaper just fully in the bathtub. Uh, that is a new one. She, before that, she just splashed with her hand, right? But now she is fully in the bathtub. And I am just, I am praising God that in that moment, he like, was like listen, don't just hear and go and do something. Um, Oh my goodness, yeah. So that was, that was our evening last night. It was pretty funny. Um, but what I want to do is I want to challenge you this morning. We're going to be reading 1 Kings 19 with this idea of listening. I'm going to, uh, I'll tell you guys, this is the direction we're heading in. I have four challenges for you this morning, and I think this passage speaks to those. And the four challenges are simply this. Listen to yourself less. Listen to God more. Speak to God more. And speak to yourself more. That last one might seem, um, might seem like it sticks out a little bit, but trust me, hang in there. I think that um, I'm, I'm praying that this will, will bless you this morning and challenge you. And I think that this is taught in this passage. So um, we're going to slowly unpack this passage. 1 Kings 19, 1 through 18. And we're going to start slowly. We're going to go through verses 1 through 8, and we're going to unpack those. So uh, Ahab told Jezebel all that Elijah had done and how he had killed all the prophets with the sword. Then Jezebel sent a messenger to Elijah, saying, So may the gods do to me, and more also, if I do not make your life as the life of one of them by this time tomorrow. Then he was afraid, and he arose and ran for his life and came to Beersheba, which belongs to Judah, and left his servant there. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat under a broom tree. And he asked that he might die, saying, It is enough. Now, O Lord, take away my life, for I am no better than my father's. And he lay down and slept under a broom tree, and behold, an angel touched him and said to him, Arise and eat. And he looked, and behold, there was at his head a cake baked on hot stones and a jar of water. 
And he ate and drank and lay down again. And the angel of the Lord came again a second time and touched him and said, Arise and eat, for the journey is too great for you. And he arose and ate and drank and went in the strength of that food for 40 days and 40 nights to Horeb, the mount of God. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Thank you for um, the provision you gave to Elijah. Um, God, we pray that as we are unpacking your word this morning, that it would be you that's speaking. God, I pray that you would help me to step out of the way and allow um, just, just your word to speak. I pray that um, whatever, whatever calluses we have on our hearts, whatever stone uh, that is on our heart, I pray that you would chisel it away. God, that you would open us up to your truth. Um, and, and God, I pray that ultimately this would cause us to have a deeper love for you and a deeper love for those around us. God, help us to hear you this morning. Help me um, to just to be out of the way and to allow your word to speak. We love you. We love you. We put our trust in you. We put our hope in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, so it is, it is safe to say that in this passage, Elijah is not having a great time. He is not attempting to move um, into the presence of God because of this sort of inward joy that he is having. We have all been in those moments where we have had this inward joy, this greatness that brings us before God, and this is not it for Elijah. He was not excited for the situation that he was in. Um, he feared for his life. And we take that for a moment, and, and if you are familiar with First Kings, uh, what happened in the chapter before is an incredible story. Um, in 1 Kings 18, we read about Elijah challenging and taking on the prophets of Baal. Um, Baal was this false god at the time, and he, he challenged them to what ultimately was this really intense bonfire competition, uh, which I feel like us here in northeast Wisconsin should be able to identify with uh, pretty well. As, uh, it, but... Um, Without reading chapter 18, you, you might think that Elijah had cheated in the competition or he had somehow lost in the competition, feeling this, uh, this fear, but it was kind of the opposite. Um, the competition set up this altar of wood and, and he would pray that God would set it on fire and he challenged the other prophets to do it as well. And the Lord lit the altar on fire in spectacular fashion. It is an incredible chapter and, and an incredible victory and in the altar of Baal did not light. And it's this incredible story, this victory, um, that I would challenge you later today to read, either on your own or with your family. Read 1 Kings 18. Um, but the result, even in this incredible victory, even in this incredible moment, was that Jezebel, who was uh, the leader over this group, wanted the life of Elijah. And so it's incredible in this moment that should feel like victory uh, instead, Elijah fears for his life, and he is on the run. And so he fears so deeply for his life that he goes into the wilderness. And as he is in the wilderness, as he is in this moment of despair, as he is in this moment of fearing for his life, he asks God, he asks God to just to, to do it, to take him, to take him in that moment. And I think for some of us, we can identify with that, where we have been in valleys of despair, when we have been in moments of darkness, where we have gone, God, just at this moment, take me. And God's response is incredible. I love God's response. He nourishes Elijah. Not only does he give Elijah, um, not only does he nourish him 
emotionally, mentally, but he, he gives him the food to complete the journey. Not only once, but, but multiple times an angel appears to give Elijah physical nourishment. He gives him uh, the, this food and water to make it through the journey. The Lord provided for Elijah. The Lord provides. The Lord sustains. He accomplishes incredible things that we could, we could never imagine or expect. I feel, I feel like sometimes we get mad when God doesn't answer our prayers, but here is an incredible uh, moment where God did not answer Elijah in the way that he wanted to. Instead, he said, no, I am going to provide for you and bring you through this. So check this out. Like Elijah, on one hand, fears death at the hands of Jezebel. He's got these people that are coming after him. On the other hand, he wanders into the wilderness, and there is every chance that he could die at the hands of the wilderness, and God provides. And, interestingly enough, he, he provides for 40 days and 40 nights, uh, which is a common theme. And he ends up at a mountain called Horeb, or the mountain of God. And if this sounds familiar at all to you, it is because this is the same mountain where God gave Moses the Ten Commandments. Interesting connection. There's an interesting pattern here. Uh, as one commentator pointed out, a day for Elijah is a parallel of a, a year of Israel's wandering. You know, Israel, when they're freed from Egypt, they wander the desert for 40 days and 40 nights, and they end up at this mountain. And in the same way that God provided for the Israelites, he had manna come down from heaven, he provides for Elijah and, um, with, with water and cake. And it's a cool parallel. It's an awesome parallel. I don't know about you, but I love it when I'm reading passages in Scripture and other passages light up, and that's really cool. But there's, there's another one in here that we would, we would sorely miss, and it's a huge bummer if we don't check it out. 40 days and 40 nights. We know that everything that happens in the Old Testament points forward to Jesus, right? And everything in the New Testament points either at Jesus in the moment as the ministry life of Jesus or points back to Jesus in the work that Jesus does. When we think of 40 days and 40 nights and we're thinking, I wonder how that points me towards Jesus, uh, there is an obvious passage I think we can go to, Matthew chapter 4. So if you have your Bibles, Matthew chapter 4. Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4, says this, Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness, there's that wilderness again, to be tempted by the devil after fasting 40 days and 40 nights. 40 days, 40 nights. He was hungry, and the tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered him, It is written, Man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. So notice this. Jesus encounters a similar situation as Elijah, right? Forty days, forty nights. In the wilderness. Hungry. And look at where Elijah went with it. Elijah was quick to fear and hopelessness. And then we look to what Jesus models for us. And Jesus turns back the temptation and goes back to the word of God. 
Jesus is always the better. When, when we read in the Old Testament about these different heroes of the faith and these different people, when we read back on them, it, we need to remember that they are merely shadows and foretastes of the, the perfect one to come, right? So it's, it's easy for us to look at people like Elijah and Abraham or David and we want to emulate them, but even in their strongest character moments, they are nothing more than lesser versions of Jesus. And here, Jesus reminds us that the Lord provides. Jesus, in the same situation, reminds us that it is God's word that provides for us. We live, we move, we breathe, we eat, we dance, we play at every word uh, that comes from the mouth of God, not merely by bread alone. What are you listening to? Church, when you look back in the past week or the past months or the past years, do you, are you discouraged? Do you look back with contempt on the things that you have done? Do you look back with anger towards the things that were done to you? Maybe you were hurt by the actions of a person, or, or maybe you were the one who hurt somebody by your actions. And, and if you answered yes to any of those questions, which I think if we're being honest, all of us have felt that at some point, probably recently, what is your response moving forward? Do you fall into this idea of, of trepidation and fear? Do you feel a lack of hope moving forward? Listen, you're not alone. Elijah felt the exact same way. Elijah, a prophet of God, he was ready to throw in the towel. God and his great mercy provided for Elijah. We have a tendency in these moments to listen to ourselves. When we are in the valley of death, when we are in the pits of despair, when we are digging a hole, we have a tendency to allow these discouraging thoughts to continue to dig the hole and just stand idly by and listen. It's easy to get stuck in that autopilot mode where we just listen to that voice that's inside of our head and we just kind of get stuck in this, well, that's just the way it is. And listen, that voice will not sustain you. We will perish in the wilderness listening to that voice. But look at what Jesus models for us. We listen to the word of God. We adjust the voice. We move to God's word that sustains us. We need to listen to the voice that spoke the universe into existence. We need to listen to this voice of God. We need to listen to ourselves less and listen to God more. And we have that. It's incredible. We we have that at our hands, at our fingertips, on our phones, everywhere. Listen to yourself less. Listen to God more. Let's continue in 1 Kings 19. So if you are still in Matthew 4, go back to 1 Kings 19. All right, picking back up in verse 19. He brings Elijah to the mountain, the mount of God, to Horeb. There he came to a cave and lodged in it. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, and he said to him, What are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for you, the Lord, the God of hosts, for the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I, only left, I am left, 
and they seek my life to take it away. And he said, Go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by, and a great and strong wind tore the mountains and broke in pieces the rocks before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after an earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. And after the fire, the sound of a low whisper. And when Elijah heard it, he wrapped his face in his cloak and went out and stood at the entrance of the cave. And behold, there came a voice to him. And he said, what are you doing here, Elijah? He said, I have been very jealous for the Lord, the God of hosts. For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant, thrown down your altars, and killed your prophets with the sword. And I, even I only, am left, and they seek my life to take it away. Let's take inventory. Elijah, after spending his time in the wilderness, in this pit of despair, in this moment of crying out to the Lord for him to take his life, he finds refuge in this cave. Now, interestingly enough, again, this is the cave where God passed by Moses. Another interesting parallel. He's shown his glory upon him. But this is where Elijah is at. He fears for his life. He is hopeless. God, in his mercy, meets Elijah where he is at and provides and sustains for him. And so what we're reading now is Elijah speaking to God. So we, we, talked, we said four things, right? Listen to yourself less, listen to God more, uh, speak to God more. So what we see here is Elijah speaking to God. And, and the Lord meets Elijah and asks him what he is doing there. And, and what I love is that Elijah, in complete honesty and candor, lays before the Lord his hopelessness. He tells the Lord that despite God's incredible showing in front of the prophets of Baal. The people still forsake him. He feels completely alone in this moment, sought out to be killed, alone in his allegiance to the Lord. He says, For the people of Israel have forsaken your covenant. They have thrown down your altars and killed your prophets. He feels completely alone in this. We sometimes feel that way in our faith too, right? Like sometimes it's really easy to feel like for me to stand firm on my faith, whether it is uh, at work or maybe it's at a family gathering or maybe it's even at home, that to stand on the foundations of your faith, you'd be alone in that. You're, you're not. And I think sometimes why, I think sometimes the reason why we feel like God is not able to meet us where we are at is because we are not completely honest with him. We're not completely honest with him about the sins that either we have committed, we want to give kind of these low-level sins, just kind of throw up one or two as kind of like an offering, and, and we're also not honest about the sins that have been committed against us. It's, it's weird. I, I feel like I've experienced this. We give God these like surface-level pains that we have felt in our life, these very surface-level ones, and we expect him to heal the deep afflictions and wounds that we have felt. Yet Jesus in his ministry promises to take our burden. Matthew eleven twenty eight through 30, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon me, uh, take, take my yoke upon you and learn from me. For I am gentle and lowly in heart and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. 
Church, why do we settle when it comes to engaging with the Lord? Speak to Him. Confess to Him. Confess the sins you've committed. Confess the pains that you have felt. Confess the dark moments, the darkest of moments. The promise is that He will take them. It doesn't, by the way, it doesn't surprise God when you confess these things to Him. As if you are somehow able to hide out off in the corner like these dark areas of your life and like, ah, God can't see it until I open that door. He promises to take them. And here's the cool thing. The promise isn't just that he will take them. The promise is rest. And, and rest is quickly becoming foreign in our culture. Rest is something that our culture does not necessarily value. We are a culture that highly values busyness. It's interesting, even when you look at uh, people going on vacation. I, I look at some people when they go on vacation, I'll see like the posts on Facebook or Instagram or, or whatever. I, I look at the stuff that they're doing and I'm like, that is an exhausting vacation. No, thank you. Like, they're just doing stuff. And not that rest is the opposite of doing stuff, but this is what our culture promotes. And yet Jesus promises rest, and we know that Jesus' promises are good. So are you, are you going before God? Are you speaking to God with complete honesty and candor? Um, I, as, as I was preparing this message, there were two areas that I thought we could, uh, I could just share that I, I feel like these are areas in the church where we, we sometimes miss it when it comes to just confessing um, the, the pains that we're feeling and how we sometimes miss um, the blessing of just going before God in these. In these. And, and just as, as I, I minister to people back in Peshtigo, I feel like these are two very common ones. So um, the first one is loneliness. I feel like I hear of a lot of people who are lonely. It seems to be a really big problem in the church today. We can gather with people on a Sunday morning. We can gather with 10, 20, 30. There's even churches where there's hundreds. We can gather with all these people Sing songs to the God who created the smallest atom and molecule. Not only did he place them together as if they were Legos, he actually created them. He created the building blocks of life. He created all of it. He created the smallest of atoms to the biggest of galaxies. When we look through those telescopes and we see these incredible galaxies, this is the God that we sing songs to on a Sunday morning. And we sing it with other people who are also singing to this God. And he hears those songs and yet we can feel completely alone. And it's not just Sunday morning worship. Uh, this continues throughout the whole week. This loneliness. How does Jesus answer loneliness? We confess to him that we feel completely alone, and his answer is, one, you are never alone because God promises to walk through you in, in everything. He promises to walk and dwell with you through the mountaintop moments and the valleys, but also, two, he promises that his bride, the church, is there to walk through it with you as well. I think sometimes we gloss over that with the fact that God refers to the church as his bride. But that is, he's referring to, that is his wife. He's like, she walks with you, the church walks with you. And churches get it wrong sometimes. I'm not going to come up here and pretend like they don't. There's sometimes churches that cause deep, deep wounds. And part of the reason why the wounds are so deep from churches is because 
that's what it's meant to be. But we continue to push forward knowing that this is what the promise is that Jesus gave. He takes your yoke, he, he replaces it with rest. If you've come here this morning and you are struggling with loneliness, have you confessed that to the Lord? Have you listened to his voice in answering what answer to loneliness is? Or are you listening to your own voice when it comes, or the culture's voice to what loneliness is? What about busyness? I said that busyness is something that's super highly valued in our culture. Um, this is, I mean, this is super easy because you go and ask somebody how they're doing, and their response is, keep it busy. Oh, so busy, you know? We live in this culture that highly values busyness. And, and it's interesting because it's not busyness in the sense of doing something for the Lord because doing things for the Lord are good and we should be. We should be doing that. But we like to fill our plate up with so much stuff to have the appearance of doing things. It's interesting. We actually were just talking about this last week um, with some of the staff at our church in Faith Peshtio. It is really bizarre that we value and we put a, we put a high respect on people who appear busy, we, that they answer the question, I'm busy. Oh, wow, they're doing a lot of stuff. But then the moment that we say, oh, I've got a lot of busy work to do, everyone's like, ah, busy work? You think of like spreadsheets and emails and busy work is the worst. <laughs> where, where is the disconnect there? Why is that the case? Why is it we highly value those who are busy, but those who are doing busy work, we're like, I feel terrible for you. Weird. We value looking like we do a lot, not because we're actually doing the things that the Lord has called us so we can find, uh, but so we can find fulfillment. We're trying to find fulfillment in something. And here's the thing. If you just try to do a whole bunch of stuff, it is not going to fulfill you. You try to find fulfillment in all of that. Here's what typically happens. The things that fall off the plate are the things that God is actually calling you to do. And it is no wonder that we feel busy, hurried, rushed, which, by the way, I did not see those in the fruit of the Spirit, right? Those are not fruits of the Spirit. Fruit of the Spirit, peace, patience, love, self-control, they're kind of the opposite of those things. So if you, are, if you feel busy, if that is your response, confess it to the Lord. Bring it to God. The promise is that Jesus will give you rest. You might not like the answer of what he's calling you to take off of your plate, but can I tell you that whatever God calls you to take off of your plate in order to do the things that he has called you to do, they are infinitely better? If, you, if, you've, got, if you've got a work meeting on a Tuesday night, I don't know, this is maybe a terrible example. This is off script, so. Uh, if, you, if you have like a work meeting on a Tuesday night, maybe you're the one that called him. It is a good example that way. Uh, and, and instead you have a chance to invite a family over and tell them about Jesus, a new family. Maybe it's a new family that's come here to church and you have a chance to tell them about Jesus, have them connect. Which one falls off the plate? Which one, oh, I'm too busy to do that that night? Take it before the Lord. I, I want to reread uh, verses 11 through 13. Because these are, these are kind of the verses that people are familiar with in this passage. Uh, first, first Kings 19, 11 through 13 says this. And he said, go out and stand on the mount before the Lord. And behold, the Lord passed by and a great and strong wind tore the mountain and broken in pieces before the Lord. But the Lord was not in the wind. And after the wind, an earthquake, but the Lord was not in the earthquake. And after an earthquake, a fire, but the Lord was not in the fire. 
and after the fire was the sound of a low whisper. It's very easy for us to approach this passage and go, uh, we, we make it a normative principle in our life. And what I mean by that is that we like to take this and say, I need to escape all of the craziness and I need to just, I need to hear God in a low whisper as if that is the only way that God can talk to you. And, and maybe it's true for some of you, you need to escape the chaos to hear God. But listen, God is not unable to speak to you because of the chaos in your life. God is not unable somehow to speak to you because, there are, because you are so busy. So God has spoken to you. When we open the inspired word of God, written through the hands of men at the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we open God's living and breathing word. Sometimes really easy for us to twist circumstances into God speaking to us. Like we go, hey, look at that red leaf that's falling from the tree. It, it spiraled in this very specific way and it landed right there on the sidewalk it must mean that my life is spiraling out of control and I have got to go find somebody that is wearing red and they are going to help my life stop spiraling out of control. Stop, stop that. God does not have to cryptically talk to you through some crazy circumstances. He, he, he has revealed his word to you. Open it. Read it. Listen to him. Listen to yourself less. Listen to God more. Speak to God more. Let's continue in, in 1 Kings 19. Uh, we are in... One second. 15. Verse 15. And the Lord said to him, Go, return on your way to the wilderness of Damascus, and when you arrive, you shall anoint Hazael to be king over Syria. And Jehu the son of Nimshi, shall anoint to be king over Israel. And Elisha, the son of Shaphat, of Abel-Meholah, you shall anoint to be prophet in your place. And the one who escapes from the sword of Hazael shall put Jehu to death, and the one who escapes from the sword of Jehu shall Elisha put to death. Yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, and every mouth that has not kissed him. So, so this is God's Response, by the way, to Elijah's. Elijah is speaking to God. He comes before him in complete candor. And what? <laughs> this is how God responds. Hey, here's a bunch of names of people and stuff that's going to happen. Go get them, tiger. <laughs> Elijah pours his heart out before God. Lord, of all your people you have left, I am feeling incredibly alone in my mission that you have sent me on. I am wanted. Jezebel wants my head. I feel like there is nothing left in the tank anymore. Lord, I need you now more than ever. And God replies to Elijah, hey, here's some things you need to go and do. And it might seem in that moment, if we read this like that, that God does not meet Elijah with his needs. But in God's complete sovereignty, he absolutely does. Now, when you read your Bibles, there is... There is um, the, the greatest interpreter of Scripture is Scripture itself. If, if there is a place in Scripture where they unpack a certain piece of Scripture, we, we're going to go with that interpretation of Scripture, right? Like, that makes sense. 
This last part of verse 18, yet I will leave 7,000 in Israel, all the knees that have not bowed to Baal, every mouth that has not kissed him. It's cool. This verse is actually quoted in Romans. And Paul actually uses it when he is writing his letter to the church in Rome. So let's go to Rome, uh, Romans 11, 1 through 5. Romans 11, 1 through 5. Now, Romans is a very interesting letter. Just a little bit of context in this passage. Romans is a really interesting letter. Paul is writing it to the church in Rome. And Rome had something really interesting happen where all of, all of the Jews were actually kicked out of Rome for a short period, right? Um, and so the church, as it was beginning to form, uh, it was a very Gentile-heavy church. And then after three years, the Jews came back into Rome, and there's this tension that's going on um, between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians, right? Um, and it was creating this tension. And so when we read Romans, there's bits and pieces of Romans where he's speaking specifically to the Jewish uh, Christians at that time. And there's times where he's talking to the Gentile ones. Um, but, but what we can learn from this is incredible to uh, how we unpack Elijah. So uh, verses 1 through 5 says this, I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew. Do you not know that the scripture says of Elijah and how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets, they have demolished your altars, and I am alone and left, and they seek my life. But what, has, what was God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal. So too, at the present time, there is a remnant chosen by grace. The Lord is keeping his people. God's response to Elijah is, keep going, I am keeping my people. Both here in Romans with Elijah and in this very day and age here in Appleton, here at Community Church in Appleton, back at my church in Peshtigo, all across the world, God is keeping his people. Elijah is not alone. You are not alone. And maybe you needed that, amen. Maybe you need that specific encouragement this morning that God is keeping his people. He is with you. He has not forsaken you. Well, it might seem like a dark season, God is absolutely working in it and through it. Because I work with youth, this passage just so stands out to me when it comes to middle schoolers and high schoolers because I talk with parents and it almost feels like a weekly occurrence of parents who are afraid for their kids. And the thing is, I can turn this passage and I can go, parents, the Lord is keeping his people. Be faithful. Be faithful in, in giving your children, the word of God. Be faithful in praying for them. Be faithful in, in bringing them to, to church. Be faithful in giving them the word of God. We rest well knowing that God is keeping his people. And so we listen to ourselves less. We listen to God more. We speak to God more. But then we speak this truth to ourselves. We speak to ourselves more. So this is the fourth challenge is to speak to yourself more there's a uh, a fun church churchy phrase uh for this it's called preaching to yourself right 
It is a practice that is sometimes undervalued in the church, but we need to preach to ourselves the daily truths about God. We need to, tr- to preach to ourselves the gospel daily. We need to remind ourselves that God created everything. That there was a rebellion, that we as sinful people partake in that rebellion, but that Jesus went to the cross. He forgave us of our sins. He paid the price for our rebellion so that we may be seen as redeemed before God. That God promises his Holy Spirit to those whom he has saved. That the Holy Spirit will renew them. He will sanctify them. He will grow them. That he is, he is growing a people to him. And that one day, one day, we will stand before the Lord in glory and there will be no more brokenness. Hallelujah. We need to preach that to ourselves daily. We need to be in the daily habit of reminding ourselves of these truths of God for a couple reasons. One, so we stop believing the lies. So we stop believing the lies. So that's the first part. We stop listening to ourselves and we start speaking truths to ourselves. But the second thing is that we do this so that we are prepared to preach the gospel to those around us. It, check, check out this chain. See, we so, sometimes go, I, I'm just, I'm not great at evangelism. I don't have the gift of evangelism. I don't have the gift of telling people around me the gospel. But I think part of the reason why we don't tell people who are, are not believers the gospel is we, we, go back the, we go back in the chain. First of all, we need to preach to ourselves daily the gospel. Second of all, church, we need to be preaching the gospel to each other. Evangelism isn't something that we just do to non-believers. It's something that we need to be doing to each other often. We need to remind ourselves of the gospel truths frequently. And then we preach the gospel to those who don't know it. We preach, preach the gospel to non-believers. We do this discipling, which by the way is the command that Jesus gave us, right? The great commandment to make disciples. Discipling others will be a natural outflow of the daily practicing of preaching to yourself. Preaching yourself doesn't have to be uh, verbal either. You don't have to like stand in front of a mirror and preach to yourself. Sometimes preaching to yourself means um, it means finding other avenues for which the gospel can speak to you. One of my favorite things is I love podcasts. I listen to a lot of podcasts. Uh, Max and I actually had a podcast for a little while where we would practice this. It was funny. We were having, uh, when we worked at the church together, we would sit down and we would just have these conversations. It felt like every morning. Um, and we were like, why are we not like recording these conversations? And so we did it. We did it. We did it for like, I don't know, like 30 episodes. It was pretty cool. The cat's cast. We got coffee mugs and everything. It was cool. Uh, <laughs> so maybe it's listening to podcasts. Maybe it's listening to sermons. Maybe it's listening to gospel-rich Music. Man, I, I love the music that we have access to as a church. One of my favorites, um, and I'm, I'm, I think you guys sing it here, maybe not. Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor. You sing that? No? Got to get on that one. Um, <laughs> Christ the Sure and Steady Anchor. It's a, it, it is a fantastic hymn. Um, Just listen to these lyrics. Christ the sure and steady anchor in the fury of the storm when the winds of doubt blow through me and my sails have all been torn. 
In the suffering, in the sorrow, when my sinking hopes are few, I will hold fast to the anchor. It will never be removed. Oh man, I have been in moments, dark moments, where I have listened to that song and is reminded that Christ is the anchor. I'm going to wrap this up. Simply this. Listen to yourself less. Listen to God more. Speak to God more. Speak to yourself more. Read your Bible. There's a few things you can do in your daily walk to make this more common, to, 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 to do these four things, by the way. Read your Bible. Spend time in God's Word. Spend less time listening to your own voice and listen to that voice of God and He will give you the strength. Spend time in prayer. Be intentional about talking to God in a way that is honest and raw and true. Trust that God is faithful to take you exactly where you need to go. Preach to yourself daily. Preach the truths of God to yourself daily. Sing songs that remind you of the gospel and remind yourself of who God is and what he has done and the promises he has made. Let's pray. Lord, thank you so much for the work you did with Elijah in 1 Kings 19. God, thank you that we do not have to listen to the lies that we tell ourselves, but instead we have a, a, a firm foundation in your word, in who you are, in the work that you have done. God, help us to rest well on your gospel, on your good news. Help us to rest well on you. God, help us to listen to ourselves less, to listen to you more. God, help us to be honest before you in all of our brokenness. And God, help us to preach the gospel to ourselves more. We love you. Put our trust in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Would you stand as we have a closing song?